I felt a shift in my spirit, this might correlate with where you felt it in yours, is when we stopped singing a song and we each started singing our own song unto him. It's at that place where you find out if you have a song or not. When you quit being led in the quiet place, do you have anything to say to him? It's there we get exposed. It's in the silence. Because we don't like silence. (laughs) Because silence is awkward. Silence is real awkward. But it's in the silence is where we find out what our heart's actually saying. It's in silence where we figure out what God's actually trying to say to us. (laughs) You know, when I really want to hear the voice of God... I say, God, whatever you say, I'll do. And if you'll do that, he'll speak every time. But if you come with your mind already made up, God will seem a million miles away. So the place that God is taking us to is to empty ourselves of even our thoughts and to come and just say, God, what do you want to do? And then wait (laughs) until he speaks. And everything within you will want to go to the next thing. But the one that waits will rise up with wings like eagles. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to fly? I want to fly. I want to fly. I want to fly. Thank you, God. We honor and love you today, God. I pray that you would just open up your word. God, that you would just prepare us, God, to have ears to hear. And in anything that is crowding our minds or coming in to try to fly in and steal the word of the Lord before it even gets planted, God, that they would be removed. That it would be gone in Jesus' name. And that God, that the soul of our hearts would be plowed right now by your Holy Spirit to accept the seed, which is the Word of God, that comes in, takes root, and changes everything. God, your Word is creative and it brings life. So God, we receive it and bring us into life life abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. You can be seated. The Lord's been, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Samuel 16. I just, uh, I get fascinated with the life of David. And uh, I just love David. David is a priestly king. He's a king that has authority over land, but he also has that unlimited access to God. So he's given us the picture of how a king ought to be. That the power that we are given must be in proportion 
to our relationship and access that we've allowed God to have in our own lives. And a lot of times is we're always crying out for power, but we don't have the corresponding relationship to handle the power. So what happens is when we cry out for power, but we don't press into relationship and press into access with the Father and spend time with Him, the power that we cry for ends up becoming the thing that ends up destroying us. So this is the story of King Saul and the difference between King Saul and King David. Saul is consumed with the hunger for power. David is consumed with a hunger for the presence of God. And one is a man after God's own heart. The other is a man after his father, Satan's own heart. So you don't need more power. You need more access and more deeper relationship, understanding of what the life is with God. And where God cultivates that at is a hidden place. <laughs> God cultivates that in a secret place. It's in a place that nobody else can see. And Jesus says it this way, man, if you'll get the secret place right, I'll honor you publicly. That the public expression of the Spirit of God operating in a person's life is the corresponding reality of the access that they've allowed God to have in the secret place. There's a reason why Jesus is praying in the garden the garden's called Gethsemane. And you know what Gethsemane means? The olive press. How's the oil going to come out? <laughs> Unless we're crushed. So David has this hidden place. And he's content with being hidden and being not noticed. How many of you have ever not been noticed? Oh, three people. Wow, you guys are very public and very acknowledged. How many of you have never been noticed and you wanted to be noticed? Hello, be a human for a moment. How many of you have ever hit a home run? not been noticed yeah and then isn't your first thought man I wish somebody else could have saw that <laughs> but it's the private victories that we have with Jesus to where we're content with only him being able to see them that prepares us for the eyes of other people to see us and then inspire them into the same relationship. If I have a victory based upon what other people seeing and other people seeing me have these victories, what I'll do is I'll begin to enter into a place of performance. And God hates performance. Why? Because performance 
is hypocritical. The Greek word for hypocrite means actor. <laughs> yeah, actor. Playing the part. God doesn't want you to play the part. He wants you to be the reality of the thing. And that happens in the hidden place. That happens in the secret place. That happens with me being content with nobody else seeing my progress but God. Because guess what? When you stand before God, nobody else is going to be saying, Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo! It's going to be Jesus that's going to look over and say, Well done. So the eternal reality is this. This is the eternal reality that we learn right now how to not live by the fear of men and learn to live by the fear of God. That we live to what pleases His gaze because that's where we're going. And in reality, that's where we are. You've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. So the idea is to learn about what is this exchange between me and this king? How does it look like? And how do I operate when I'm not being noticed for my progress? How do I wait my turn? Because I want to tell you something. It is no fun to wait. But it's in the waiting where I'm being formed and I'm being melded and I'm being changed and I'm being conformed to the image of God. Because the only things that are valuable are the things that are hidden. You see diamonds just laying on top of the ground? You see gold just laying on top of the ground? God will actually cover things up to stir in us a pursuit to go find the valuable things of God. Matter of fact, that's what he did when he created you. He got down on his knees and started digging because he found something valuable. Is that okay? That he didn't just speak to the surface. He dug down into mold and shape you know what I bet you did within that earth I bet you there was a nugget of gold in there and then he rests in other words I'm taking a seat because this is where I belong and this is where they belong in my presence So this is David's heart is that he doesn't have to be noticed. He doesn't have to be recognized. Now don't get me wrong. We're to exhort one another, encourage one another, and spur one another on to righteousness. That's that's not what I'm saying here. But I'm saying there will be seasons in your life where you will just be overlooked. You're going to be passed over. You're going to not get the recognition you deserve. You're going to do hard things for God that nobody's going to notice. And you're not even going to think God is noticing. 
And it's in that place of making the simple decision to stay in relationship with Him and begin to press into what it is to be in the secret place with Him that you find out it's not other people's approval that keep me satisfied. It is the presence of God alone so that when I come out of the hidden place, nothing else moves my heart but Him. why Jesus and David are from the root of Jesse I would have said the branch or the tree do you see the root why the root of Jesse because the source was under the soil and this is God's story all the time Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it's going to be alone. But if it dies, harvest. See, being hidden feels like being buried. But being hidden is not being buried, it's being planted. Because anything that goes into the ground or is hidden in God always sprouts up and brings about resurrection. So this is the place God is trying to get us to have confidence for. This is the place that God is trying to learn us, teach us to be, learn us. Yeah, I'm from Arkansas. <laughs> to learn us. <laughs> We're being learned. Mm. Help me, Lord. This is the place God's trying to get us to be content in. Because if I can be content in the soul, I can be content anywhere. And then God can trust me with his success. Why? Because it's not going to move my heart. Why did the kinghood of David actually enhance his passion for God and not turn his passion from God? Because David was just as content to go just as content to stay. David gets ready to be anointed king. Doesn't even get called to the anointing party. Here's Eliab. I think what that means in the Hebrew is God is my father. Well, they had some bold names back then. I love that. We need to bring that back. Bold names on children. So here comes Eliab. God's my father. Surely this one's it. No. Next one. Abinadab. Which means something like the Lord is my vow or something like that. No. Third one. Shama comes in. You know what Shama means? God is here. Surely it's this guy, right? Imagine that's your name. God is here. No. It's got to be another. David. Beloved. Or maybe it was beloved. <laughs> yeah. So David gets anointed king. He doesn't go immediately to a palace. He goes right back into being a shepherd. 
In other words, he's not moved by the anointing or by the calling. He's only moved by where his position is in that moment where he's called to be. Because wherever he is, the presence of God's going to be. So he's not worried about where he is. That heaven is where Jesus is. Wherever Jesus is, that's heaven. It's heaven on earth. So David was content to be anywhere he could be because he was having access to God wherever he was. And that was his hope. That was everything within him wanted that. And that was his life. So, so look how he gets, uh, look at this, That what happens. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had turned away from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, mind you, David's already been anointed king, but Saul reigned. you know how long Saul reigned? 42 years. That's a pretty long time to wait for your shot to be king. So Saul has this demonic oppression, and it's tormenting him. Verse 15, then Saul's servant said to him, look, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord instruct his servants who are here before you to look for a man who knows how to play the lyre. Then whenever the evil spirit from God comes upon you, he can play the lyre. And you will feel better. So Saul said to his servants, find me a man who plays well and bring him to me. Guess who they find? <laughs> Verse 18, one of his servants replied, I have seen a son of Jesse in Bethlehem. Do you notice they didn't know the name? They only knew the father. He was so hidden, he was only known by his father. I have seen a son of Jesse in Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave warrior. So look at this info. Saul's kidding. You'd think he would take note here because he is the king of an army. He's a brave warrior. And is articulate and handsome. Here's why. For the Lord is with him. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. So all of these things hinge on the fact that the Lord is actually with this young man, David. Verse 19. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is out with the sheep. So notice, Saul asked, I need some relief. And what does he do? He calls in uh, the worship guy. Who, who, can, who can play the music? And it was oddly enough, there, it doesn't even mention there was singing going on. There's just music being played. That David had this walk of anointing that even the notes he played without words could be interpreted by the soul that the Spirit of God was on him and bring relief. That's how anointed, that's the, that's the access that David has. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is out with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a container of wine, and a young goat and sent them to Saul with his son David. David came to Saul and stood before him. Saul liked him a great deal and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, let David be my servant, for I am very 
pleased with him. Verse 23, so whenever the Spirit of God would come upon Saul, David would take his lyre and play it. This would bring relief to Saul and make him feel better than the evil spirit would leave him alone. Notice the grace on David. Now who's anointed king here? David. But Saul was also anointed king. <laughs> so we got two anointed ones here. The propensity in the human mind when one is anointed king while another one is king to figure out a way to assassinate them. Not to figure out a way to minister to them. So David comes in being willing to play for the one who has his rightful spot from God as the one who's supposed to be king and is willing to minister to this one who has lost his right to be king, but he's willing to minister to him in grace so that the demonic oppression would lift and he might get some relief. That David being anointed king understood that he had to be willing to serve in a capacity that didn't compromise his integrity. Now most people, what they would have done is they would have said, I'm going to hit some bad notes where he kicks me out of here and he can just be oppressed all the time. <laughs> or he's not the rightful king, I'm not even showing up. But David comes with gifts and a sacrificial offering and a song to serve King Saul. He's willing to be hidden in the capacity he's currently in to navigate it and have the grace of God operating in his life so that that grace can be reciprocated. Because if he can have grace praying for the king that's probably going to try to kill him, then he's probably going to have grace for other people in his life. That's why God always sets the bar higher than we would like it to be set. God says, you love your friends? <laughs> love your enemies. Oh, God, you would say that. That's going to take your power, not my own. That means I'm going to have to be dependent upon you to do that. That's why we've compartmentalized the Sermon on the Mount, which I don't like to call it that. It's the constitution of the kingdom of God. It's how the kingdom of God's going to look in the earth. It's how it should look in his church. Because it can only work with the king. And we're building kingdoms that work without the king. How dare us build a kingdom that can operate separately from the king. So David doesn't compromise even though he had every right to or the anointing. He plays for Saul to lift the demonic oppression. And Saul writes a letter and says, I like this David character. Keep sending him back here. And he makes him his armor bearer. Okay? So he's willing to hold the armor for the one that's going to try to kill him. Because he can't compromise 
his relationship with the king. See, what I'm finding out and what's wrong with our gospel sometimes is that we're never leading people to a king. We're leading to them to some transaction where they can get rid of their sins and miss hell. If that's your gospel, that's a very shallow gospel. It's called fire insurance. The gospel should lead you to allegiance to a king. And the reason why you're having the problems you're having in your life is you've not bowed a knee to this king and you've not listened to what he said and you're willing to compromise the relationship based upon you've not given him the authority that God's given to you called free will. God says, you've been bought at a price. But guess what? I've given you the authority to choose me or not. So Adam had the authority and dominion and was ruling. He hands it over to Satan. Because he didn't just disobey God, he obeyed Satan. So he transferred his fathership from God being his father to now Satan's his father. So Jesus comes down, takes the form of man, gets that back from Satan, the death and hell. He gets that from Satan, and then he brings it back, and he gives it to us and says, okay, now you have the choice again to choose life or death. He brings us right back into the garden with his death that pays the price for our sins and for our failures and for our mistakes and everything that would separate us from him. And then he puts us in a position to have authority again to choose him or to not. That's why in every situation... God will always give you the authority to get out or do the right thing or whatever it might be. That's why the Bible says he's given you all things pertaining to godliness. You're saying, well, I can't do this. I just can't. I'm like, God says he's given you all things pertaining to godliness. So somewhere in there you've refused to bow a knee in some area of your life and not made him king. So David, he's just pressing in, and he's ministering to Saul. He's ministering to Saul. Now, something odd happens. David is then sent. Now, notice he's the king, right? He's been anointed king. And as he's anointed king... The Israelites are fighting the Philistines. And a war's broke out. But this war, there's a war within a war. There's a man by the name of Goliath. And Goliath stands really tall and he's, he's, he's flexing his muscle and he's challenging any Israelite soldier to take him on head to head. So David, who's not even invited to the war... But didn't you see earlier that after David played such a killer uh, guitar solo that took away the uh, oppression, he said, I want him to be my armor bearer. But Saul, once his oppression leaves, goes right into the battle and forgets what made the oppression leave. 
So he leaves worship and leaves the one whom he's called armor bearer and leaves him tending sheep so that he can go into battle. And many of our relationships are like that. We come to church to try to alleviate some kind of thing that's on us or lift our anxieties or God bless me or this or that. And we never enter into the place of true worship, which is I actually have a relationship with God. I know who God is and I'm walking in this thing with him. So Saul leaves his armor bearer at home. And David shows up on a donkey. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? See, the real kings can ride in on a donkey. They're not too good for that. He rides in on a donkey with supplies for other people. Cheeses, wine, whatever else. And he's bringing it to his brothers who don't even like him. David's looking a lot like Jesus, blessing people that don't want nothing to do with him. David rides into town, and he just happens to be. He's just here to serve his brothers, and he looks at them, and here's this, here's this giant. And David is filled with, with what is going on? How can y'all let this happen? Let's, here, let me at him. And so he comes into Saul's chamber, and they're saying, there's this guy that's acting crazy. And you know what's weird? Saul doesn't even recognize the one who played for him and this oppression left. See, Saul enjoyed the anointing, but he didn't like the relationship. And Saul tries to do something and says, okay, if you're going to go, I'm going to put my armor on you. Now, why would Saul put his armor on David? I think I have a sneaking suspicion knowing this Saul character. He wanted the men to think it was him out there fighting Goliath. And David says, no. That kind of thing the Lord isn't with and you can't do the miraculous. That it would be more important to have the Lord with you than it would be have armor on. So David goes out. Saul doesn't recognize him. He said, who's this kid? Here, throw some stuff on him. He's supposed to be the armor bearer. That was his promotion. He's looked over. He doesn't even get to do that. He doesn't even get invited to the war. He doesn't get invited to the anointing party. He's never invited anywhere. But not once do we see David. Man, I sure do get looked over a lot, and I'm sure I'm anointed. It's like David says, I don't care. God's sorting all this out. And all I got to do is keep loving the king. <laughs> keep loving him. And then the time will come when God will do what he said he was going to do in my life. And what I found is, is God will not move before that until we have the character to handle what he's going to give us. Because the anointing can only take you to where your character can keep you. And we want to work on giftings, but God said, I just wish you'd have the character. The giftings are a grace. I just give those to you. Character is melded and formed in the cauldron of the fires of perverse things that happen to us that are tough. And we keep praying God to deliver us from the thing that's actually making us. 
God doesn't deliver Jesus from the cross. He delivers him from the grave. Yeah. So David comes in, faces Goliath. Guess what Goliath says? Who is this? Nobody knows who this guy is. He's anointed king, and when he plays a musical instrument, the demons run and flee. Like, I want to know who that guy is, and nobody else cares. And guess what? David don't care either. Because God's building his stage, and eventually he'll get there without compromising his relationship with others or himself. So Goliath says, who is this that's come out to me with sticks? Why would he say sticks? Well, because David was a shepherd. <laughs> so, so Goliath doesn't recognize him. So David kills Goliath. And when Goliath falls, the whole army is so filled with faith that they then run after the Philistine army and run them out of town. And David gets Goliath's sword. Okay. Are there kids in here? I don't think so. Maybe kids at heart. And he gets Goliath's sword and he cuts off Goliath's head. And he takes Goliath's head and walks back with it. No armor. A shepherd boy with a stick. <laughs> it's a statement to say, man, there's something more powerful than the strength of men. So who is this? A dog that's come out to me is with sticks? You're going to play fetch with me? It's like, oh no, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> this is your last day saying those kind of things. And he grabs his head and then he comes. So now you're thinking, surely Saul knows who this guy is now. He's played the lyre with him. He's wrote letters to his dad and says, hey, send this guy up. He's made him his armor bearer. He's done all these things. He's now coming into the tent to show off the head of this giant who was boasting against God and the people of God. Now watch what happens. 1 Samuel 17, verse 54 and 58. 54 through 58, it says this, David took the head of the Philistine, brought it to Jerusalem, and he put Goliath's weapons in his tent. Now, as Saul watched David going out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, the general in command of the army, whose son is that young man, Abner? Abner replied, as surely as you live, O king, I don't know. It's David. It's the king. It's the worshiping warrior. Because God's with that man. King said, find out whose son this boy is. Boy, does Saul have some short-term memory. And 
then I think about some of the victories I've had and how quickly I forgot Jesus who did them. And I think, wow, boy, do I have a short-term memory. Forget the one who delivered me from all those devils. To be able to be moved on so quickly and forget about all the tremendous things that he did. To where I don't even remember his name. Verse 56, the king said, find out whose son this boy is. Verse verse, uh, 57, so when David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. He still had the head of the Philistine in his hand. (laughs) That's pretty cool. 58, Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? David replied, Don't you remember me? I played the worship song that changed your life. Don't you remember? You appointed me armor bearer. Don't you know who I am? King Saul. But you know what I find out about David? He could care less if King Saul knew him or not. Because he knew King Jesus knew him. And David politely answered, I'm the son of your servant Jesse in Bethlehem. Notice He identified with his father more than he identified with his own name. That God is calling us to identify with our father more than we identify with our own name. Who are you? Next one says, who are you? Say, I'm son of the most high God, Yahweh, and his son, Jesus. (laughs) That'll freak some people out and pull that on them. David is content to just be in relationship. So what's odd here to me is that Goliath didn't recognize him, which is the enemy of God. But the king of God's people didn't recognize him either. So Saul is Goliath in a different form. That you'll have some enemies that are vehemently opposed. And then you'll have some enemies in leadership that are supposed to be in your camp. Are you content with being hidden? Neither Saul nor Goliath recognized the king, the anointed one. Then I got to thinking about it. When Jesus came to his people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the ones who should have been able to recognize him, 
would memorize the Bible front and back, some of them the entire Old Testament maybe. And he shows up and they say, you don't look the part. You're not wearing the clothes we're wearing. You're not wearing the phylacteries and the broad borders of your garment. See, what they were trying to do is like Saul. They were trying to put their armor on Jesus to make him look like them. When Jesus doesn't show up to look like anybody, he shows up so that you'll look like him. So don't put your armor on Jesus. You take your armor off and say, Jesus, let me look like you. You want to look like Jesus? You'll start looking like a shepherd. And you'll start smelling like sheep. Sheep bite. Mm-hmm. That you love them and you care for them. <sighs> yeah. So David could be hidden. Saul couldn't realize that a worshiper could still be a warrior. Saul didn't realize that he needed a shepherd. Not a person in full armor. So if you're in a war, start praying for a shepherd. Because that's what kills something about being a shepherd is you get ridiculed for just having a stick when people think you ought to have more but you don't need more you just need the shepherd that's what you need you need him you need him so if you're in a season of hiding or being hidden you're in good company with the root of Jesse. You're with the shepherd boy who it takes 12 to 18 years for him to become king. So don't compromise your relationship to get out of the trouble you're in. Learn to have the grace for whatever position you're in right now. Because God's trying to teach you to be satisfied in him not satisfied in anything else and it's okay if nobody's noticing because God notices God notices he sees your sacrifice he sees your struggle he sees all that but in the middle of a field with a bunch of animals with just David and God he writes beautiful songs and actually making you a warrior and it seems insignificant 
that's not insignificant. It's warfare. It's the opportunity where we get to get outside of ourselves and it becomes not us and them, but us and him. <laughs> and it doesn't matter who else is watching. The king's watching. like Stephen and be getting stoned and when he's getting stoned he doesn't look at those who's hurling rocks you know where he looks oh Jesus is standing <laughs> it's your obedience in the place of suffering brings Jesus to full attention everywhere else he's seated in heavenly places but Father, forgive them. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> so he sees Jesus and then starts talking like Jesus. That's pretty awesome. So let's pray. God, we just thank you. certain.